We are in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42 today. And we're going to consider uh, what it is to be a community of humble correction. Luke, that's in the right-hand side of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, big number 6. We're starting at little number 37. Listen along as I read God's Word. This is Jesus speaking in his sermon. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus also told them a parable, saying, Can the blind guide the blind? Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will become like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye, when you yourself don't even see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask God for uh, help. Good shepherd, would you send out your Holy Spirit this morning to lead us on the path of humility? Please focus us, refocus us once again on you, our King, and work in us and through us to show off your character here in Concord and in our surrounding towns and to spread your gospel. We pray this for your glory. Amen. The church has been accused of many things for about 2,000 years. Some of those accusations stick. Some of those are unfounded. But probably the most common accusation you hear, modern times of the church, is that we are judgy. You've probably heard that. Maybe you've said that, that the church is judgy, condemnatory. Um, The mental image I want you to have of what many of our neighbors think about the church is Angela from The Office. That's what people think of Christians. Uh, If you haven't seen The Office, just think of a killjoy with pursed lips who's just mad that anyone's having fun and glaring at you from behind her uh, computer monitor. Uh, The Episcopal Church in America, they conducted this survey in 2022 of about 3,000 Americans over the age of 18. And they said of those, that group, half of those who describe themselves as non-religious considered American Christians as self-righteous. 55% of them considered us hypocritical, and 54% of them considers us Christians judgmental. So how should we as a church, how should we as Christians respond when our non-Christian neighbors think we're judgy? Well, there's two common ditches to fall into. To become defensive. We could double down and say, I'm not angry. I'm not judging you. Or we could become relativists and say, you know, you're you're right. And we could redefine Jesus' teaching and embrace uh, moral and theological relativism. And sadly, that's the way many American churches are going. The defensive people are appealing to faithfulness. I'm just being faithful. But they're using that to excuse their harsh judgmentalism. The relativists appeal to love. 
But they're using that to excuse themselves from belief in God's word. So we should reject both of these ditches, defensiveness, relativism, when our neighbors look at us and say, you seem judgy. And we should embrace honest self-evaluation in the presence of God. This morning, that's exactly what we're going to do as Jesus is going to teach us to reject judgy condemnation. Don't be Angela's. He's going to teach us to follow his lead to embrace humble correction. And here's the heart of the message this morning. Christ's community rejects judgy condemnation and embraces humble correction. Let's look at this first idea here that Jesus teaches. Reject judgmental condemnation. So Jesus, previously in his sermon on the plane, he's talking about how we relate to enemies. In this section, you'll see in a little bit, he's talking about how we relate to brothers or sisters. So it's gone from how we relate to outsiders, mainly to insiders. And he's describing what type of community he's creating, both 2,000 years ago uh, in Palestine and here today in Concord in New Hampshire. And he gives us two negative commands and two positive commands. The first two negative ones are, do not judge. And do not condemn, or you will be judged and condemned. Jesus tells us not to judge. And this is one of those verses that's like a favorite of everyone, Christians or non-Christians. You hear people say that, don't, don't judge. Jesus says that. Um, but many people can oversimplify or twist these words, do not judge, and say, well, Jesus says you don't judge. You can't have any judgment calls. You can't say if something's wrong, let me live my life. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, There's this one theologian, Daryl Bach, and he says this. He explains what Jesus means by saying, do not judge. This passage does not deny the right to moral evaluation. What is warned against is evaluating others with such a harshness that the result is in an unforgiving attitude. He points us to Luke 18. There's a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. We could pull that up here. I'm going to read that. And I think this attitude that this Pharisee has in this passage is what Jesus has in mind when he says, do not judge. So this is Luke 18, 9 through 12. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And this is what it means to judge. They look, he looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing... And praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. You can almost see him looking at the tax collector. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. This is the judgmentalism, the condemnation that Jesus, uh, Jesus himself is condemning to look down at other people, to think that certain people are beyond God's help. See, in this passage, Jesus is calling us to have a moral compass, yes, but also merciful compassion. Jesus does have standards. If you look on either side of this passage, he's he's laying out standards for everyone. He's saying, this is the blessed life, this is the cursed life. That's good fruit, that's bad fruit. If you build your life on my teaching, it will be a rock-solid foundation. If you build your life on anything else, your life will crash and burn. Jesus has moral standards. And yet in his life, we see he is just overflowing with mercy towards the lost and the needy. 
Jesus calls his people after the negative commands. He says, okay, don't judge, don't condemn, but instead forgive and give. He calls us to this generous mercy. You know, when we gather on Sundays, kind of the centerpiece of our service is the preaching of Christ crucified and the broken body and the shed blood represented in the bread and the cup. At the center of our gathering is a forgiving and giving Jesus. This is my body. This is my blood for you. Jesus on the cross, lifted up. And so as we gather around the forgiving and giving God, Jesus, we become more like him. Jesus was generous with his time, his words, his listening ear, his healings, his food, even his life. And so should we. And he holds out an encouragement. He says, the measure that you give is the same one you'll receive. If you judge and you're critical, you're probably going to receive that back. You're creating a culture of criticism around you. If you're generous and you give, God's going to be generous with you. And he uses this kind of odd um, language for us, good measure, filled up, shaken. What he's talking about is, People in this day, on their outer you know, jacket or something, they'd have a little pocket to get grains in when they went to the market. And so to make sure people got their fill of the grains, whoever was selling it would pour some grains in, shake it. So it'd go down. Pour some in, shake it. The closest equivalent I could think of is when you go to like Trader Joe's or somewhere and you get whole bean coffee and you pour it in a little grinder and you start grinding it and then you keep shaking it so you could get all your money's worth of coffee. So you're getting an abundant amount of grace and generosity from God. And I think that's spelled out later in Luke 18. If you give, God is going to give you richly in family, in the church, in hospitality, in this life and in the next. I want to stop here before we move to the next point and just recognize that there are Christians and non-Christians in this room who have been hurt badly by judgmental, harsh, critical Christians. Please don't assume that Jesus is like that. Jesus is just, but he's gentle. He has morals, but he's full of mercy. He doesn't play whack-a-mole with your sins. He doesn't get excited to just beat you down. He doesn't relish judging people. But like a good doctor, he diagnoses us in order to heal us. He points things out to draw us closer to him. He is a gentle healer. And if you're a non-Christian in this room, if you've been hurt by Christians, maybe in your family at Thanksgiving table, or Christians that you've heard online, I just want to say, we Christians are a mess. We are an absolute mess. And God is working on us. So my hope for you, a non-Christian friend, is that you see in Jesus, someone who is giving and forgiving. On the cross, Jesus is saying to you, I'll take all of your lust, your anger, your hypocrisy. I'll take it all on me. I'll forgive you and I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you life. I'll give you joy. And I'll give you help to change. So in this first section here, Jesus is telling his church, telling us today, uh, don't be Angela's. Do not be judgy, hypercritical, hypocritical Christians. Be giving, be forgiving. 
Uh, but this is super hard to follow, okay? Whether you're a Christian or not, our social media age builds a culture of flash judgments. Something happens. People are like, wait, why didn't you respond? It's like three minutes from the event, dude. It's like, what? Flash judgments and being hypercritical. So how do we as a church step out into a countercultural way of living, become a community of grace in a world of hostility? We must keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's look at verses 39 and 40. You become who you follow. Jesus also told him a parable. Can the blind guide lead the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? Disciples not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So he tells kind of a, a mental image. He gives us a metaphor saying, if you have two blind people following each other and there's a pit in front of them, that's bad news. They're both going to fall into the pit. Jesus could have the Pharisees in mind who were uh, maybe judgmental in this day and age. He might have the disciples in mind as they're backbiting and fighting for positions of power. And he's saying, you guys are like blind people leading blind people. Whether it's the Pharisees or the disciples that he has in mind, this is what he's saying. You need someone who sees clearly to lead you in the way of life. Because every student becomes like their teacher. Every student becomes like their teacher. So Jesus, he's many things. He's Lord, he's Savior, he's Shepherd. And he's teacher. He's a rabbi. Uh, Jesus taught his students very differently than we've been been taught in elementary school, high school, college. We we think teachers, we think about classrooms, fluorescent lights, smell of, you know, Sharpies, all these things. Um, Jesus was an all-of-life teacher for all-of-life students. He taught his students as he was healing people, doing home visits, as he was cooking, as they were building something together. He was sharing all of life with them. And he's saying... I can see clearly. I'm not hypocritical. I'm not hypercritical either. And I will lead you in the path of life. And he's saying, don't follow blind guides. Let me ask you this morning, who do you follow? What teachers are you devoted to? Um, Your YouTube history will kind of help you with that. Your podcast history will help you with that. Your reading list will help you with that. What are the biggest voices in your life? Now, I'm a firm believer that it's good to learn from many different places. Christians, non-Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, scientists, teachers, doctors. We live in a world that's created by God and for God. And we could find many different things we could learn in different areas. But we are called to be devoted to one teacher, just devoted to one teacher, and that's Jesus himself. We're supposed to take all those voices in the world and sift them through the fingers of Christ, the teaching of Christ. So I just wonder, of all those teachers in your life, out of all those voices, where does Jesus rank We need him to lead us into a path of peace, not to be condemning. Um, There's been a few podcasts. I love podcasts. There's been a few podcasts that I've listened to that have said spot on true things, Christian podcasts. But they've said it in such a just critical 
nasty manner that I've had to unsubscribe from those podcasts. Maybe you have to unsubscribe from some blind guides and follow the true teacher himself. And especially as we're a church that wants to help each other follow Jesus, we want to be focused on the mission of discipleship, baptizing people, and then leading them on the path of following Jesus. Before we disciple people, we have to be clear-sighted. We have to be following Jesus and students ourselves. So where is Jesus leading us? He's leading us on the path of humble correction. Let's turn to verse 41. So we reject judginess, condemnation, and we embrace humble correction as we sit at the feet of our teacher. Like I said earlier, Jesus has kind of changed our focus from outsiders, maybe enemies, to insiders. He uses language of brother in verses 41 and 42. And he's trying to get across to us, like, how do we be a culture that is humble and that could humbly give correction and humbly receive correction And he uses a blue-collar metaphor to get across this point. Remember, Jesus, he went into public ministry. He was ordained, as it were, when he was 30. Before that, he was a craftsman, probably working with his dad with wood and stone in the shop. Uh, Jesus was a blue-collar man. He was acquainted with wood, with stone, with tools, with splinters, with sawdust in the eyeball. And so that's where he goes, okay? Um, so he says, imagine this, there's a guy working at the shop, you know, and he's working with some wood and he gets, you know, a little speck of sawdust in his eye and he does the thing we all do, you know, look up, teary eyed, open our mouth, we start blinking rapidly. So there's a guy doing that and he's just trying to do everything he can to get that out. And then boom, a two by two by four slams the door frame and he's like, what? And then behind the two by four is his buddy, his coworker, who walks in with a two by four stuck in his eyeball. That's the situation we're talking about. He says, imagine that scene. And the guy with the, the speck in his eye says, bro, let's go to, you know, conquered emergency right now. We need to get that thing out of your eye. And two by four guy says, wait, wait, wait. Don't judge me. I see that speck in your eye. Let's come here. Come here. Let me take that out first. That's an absurd picture that Jesus is painting for us. But that man with the two by four in his eye is like us when we have a glaring fault in our own lives and we're eager and we're quick to point out smaller flaws in other people's lives. So he says, if you're that person with that beam of wood in your eye, first take that beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye notice here he says i'll just leave the leave the splinter in that guy's eye he says no first take care of yourself and then go and help your brother in the shop get that splinter out of his eye i like how the csb uh, what we preach out of translate it some translations say spec maybe your translation does here it says there's a splinter in your eye Um, splinters anywhere are not comfortable, and I could assume that splinters in your eyeball are horrendous. Um, And anyone who gets a splinter in their eye, or anything in their eye, for that matter, doesn't rest until it's out, right? You don't stop, you don't, like, take a nap while you have, like, a piece of particle in your eye. 
And so I just want to help frame when people come to us with gentle correction, they are helping us by getting something undesirable out of our lives. We should welcome what the Proverbs called the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend because they're not meant to hurt us, but they're meant to heal us. When we're at our best, when we're being friends like Jesus, we point out faults in order to make each other more spiritually healthy and happy. I think some of us, myself included, we could be maybe oversensitive when people call things out in us. Um, Imagine the guy with the splinter now. You know, he takes care of two-by-four guy, and he goes into urgent care, and he gets called into the room, and then the nurse comes and says, I see you have a splinter, and I just want to come in and take that out to help you. And he says, you can't judge me. How do you know I have a splinter? No, in that moment, he's saying, yes, please help me. And that's kind of the posture we should have as trusted friends come to us and say, please help me get rid of this sin in my life. So how do we respond to Christ's teaching? How do we actually become this community of humble correction? We could pull it up here, but just want to give you four things, four ways to become this community. Find your circle of trust, open up, seek repentance, and speak up. Find your circle of trust. What I mean, what I mean by circle of trust are family, friends, mentors, who, when they speak up, you listen. This group of people, the friends, faithful are the wounds of a friend, who you listen to. I have my team, my wife, the elders, my boy Devin from seminary days, my dad, my mentor, men in my community group. If any one of those people speaks up, they have my ear and I'm ready to listen. And once you have your circle of trust, sometimes this is necessary, most of the time this is necessary, uh, you need to give permission to them to speak into your life. There's, there's a rare breed of people who have no problem just speaking their mind, right? I would say most of us, though, are kind of hesitant, like, oh, am I misreading the situation? I don't want to speak up. With your circle of trust, say, hey, you're one of the people I really trust in my life, and I want you to speak into anything you see in my life that is wrong. So find your circle of trust. Open up. Start with opening up to God. There's this beautiful prayer in Psalm 139 where he says, God, you know everything. Would you search me? Would you show me the nasty things in my own soul? Would you lead me in life? So open up to God. Open up to that circle of trust and say, hey, I think this is kind of off in my life. Could you verify that or am I seeing it wrong? And then we humbly repent. We repent of the log in our own eye. Uh, Remember, God doesn't correct us so that we would feel terrible. He doesn't play whack-a-mole with us. He corrects us so that we would walk in the path of the fruit of the Spirit. Reject that log in your own eye and reconcile where there's been wrongs. And finally, speak up. Okay, so you got the log out of your eye. Now you want to approach your friend, your brother, your sister, someone in your trusted circle, uh, and you want to speak up. few notes here. For the timid, for the timid, know this. Speaking up, gently, is a form of love. Speaking up is a form of love. We all know this. Um, I was at a work event recently with some teachers, and we're all kind of getting to know each other, 
and we had this delicious soup and salad for lunch. Um, we broke up into small groups and we're talking and we're all talking and boom, I see the spinach leaf in this lady, you know, covering her right tooth. She looks like a pirate. She looks like Pirates of the Caribbean. I was like, I don't know her name. I'm not going to say anything. In, I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I was too timid. But love demanded that I said, hey, what's your name again? Oh, yeah, thanks. Oh, you have a piece of spinach right here. <laughs> so for the more timid, remember that speaking up is a form of love. And if you fear, how is my friend? I don't want to mess with my friendship. I don't want to mess with my marriage. I don't want to mess with that relationship at church. You can't control how your friend responds. So that's for the more timid. For the more bold, please be patient and gentle. Uh, If you know you have a tendency in yourself, like you see something, say something, like those airport signs, and you're just like saying stuff left and right, slow down, be gentle, and consider how God addresses your faults. God, all-knowing God, knows every single one of your faults. And like at max, he convicts you of like three to five of those at a time. At max, you know, I could only take like two at a time. Imagine if God said, okay, it's Monday. Today I'm going to show whoever it is. I'm going to show them every single one of their faults. Theologically, morally, relationally, boom. We would be crushed. We would be absolutely crushed if God did that to us. But instead, God gently points out one thing. says, I'm here to help you, son. I'm here to help you, daughter. We're going to walk on the path of repentance and faith. And then for for all of us, as we speak up to one another, for the more timid, for the more bold, let's humbly correct one another. Humbly correct one another. There's a couple ways to do that. You might just throw in, hey, just privately, it seems to me that I'm seeing this. Is that right? Or I might be wrong, uh, but it looks like this is happening in your life. So church, just as we step back and see that Jesus is calling us away from judgy condemnation and to humble correction, being a community of humble correction, what would cause you in your seats today to step out into this vulnerable community that Jesus is calling you to be? Here's what motivates me. I want more of Christ and I want more of community. And if anything gets in between Christ and community and me, I want it out of my life. And I think that's what's going to motivate you to church, to step out, to receive correction humbly, to give it humbly as a doctor and not as a judge, that we want to stay close to our Savior and to his people. So let's do that as a church. Let's reject judgy condemnation and embrace this humble correction that our King is leading us in.